the shift was just something entirely new. And I was told by my friend Julie, you know, you're not going to let blindness define you. You're not a blind woman, but you're a woman who happens to be blind. And I think that's something that all of us can carry with us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Power Up Women, our cross-generational, cross-cultural conversation about leadership, power, gender, and social justice. I'm Ann Doyle. And as always, we're coming to you from the Motor City Woman Studios in Detroit, Michigan. And my co-host, Dana Harvey, will be back with us next week. Well, the Olympics are all wrapped up. And one of my favorite sheroes from Tokyo is 35-year-old Allison Felix, who won 11 medals, seven gold, three silver, and one bronze, becoming the most decorated U.S. track and field athletes in history, surpassing the incredible Carl Lewis. So I hope that you have discovered her, because besides being a world-class athlete, Allison Felix is also the mother of a two-year-old daughter and a fierce advocate for female athletes, for gender equality, and for mothers. And she sent shockwaves through the sports world when she cut her 20-year ties with Nike after they wanted to cut her pay by 70% because of her pregnancy. So Allison not only found herself a new sponsor, Athleta, but through her leadership and her willingness to raise her voice and speak up publicly for other mothers, she shamed Nike into now offering maternity benefits for all of their sponsored athletes. And I would say that is how you live our powering up mission of lifting others as you climb. And now I'm gonna give you another powerful example of the strength, complexity, and resiliency of not only the human body, but also of the human spirit. Because our guide for this conversation is a remarkable and a gifted woman whose new book, Through the Dark, is a riveting guide on how to find the courage to be victors and not victims, even when life deals us a devastating blow. Yolanda Nava, is an Emmy award-winning television journalist, a media pioneer, and author of It's All in the Frijoles, which is all about Latino and Latina virtues. And Yolanda had been living a life absolutely filled with professional accomplishment and a commitment to help empower other women and children when she very suddenly lost sight in both of her eyes due to a very rare autoimmune illness that nearly claimed her life. So her newest book, Through the Dark, is an inspirational and a very courageous memoir about how she not only coped with and learned to accept the death of her old self, as she put it, but also refuses to let blindness define her as she continues to create her new, and as you will discover, very joyful self. Welcome, Yolanda. Well, thank you, Anne. It's a delight and a pleasure to be with you this morning. And I think, you know, your description of Allison is very important for all of us to be aware of because we are, it is our spirits that, that drive us and lead us. And she's a perfect example of that. 
we think we're much less than we are, Anne. And we are truly a combination of the physical and the spiritual. We don't know these things, though. We don't know that we can grow ourselves in ways that we never expected. And I certainly never expected to have to deal with not being able to see. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not the worst thing in the world. It is majorly inconvenient. Before we get into the specifics of how you suddenly lost your sight, Yolanda, and this new self that you needed to create and continue to create, I want our listeners to have a sense of your old self. How would you describe her? The old Yolanda is not that different from the the current one, except for the fact I, well, at that time, I was probably leading the life of three people. And I, I still tend to do that. I, I was a journalist. I, in my early years, I was an activist. I was a, a mother. I had two children while being a broadcast journalist. I took two years off with each of them to nurse and do all of that and serve on boards. Over the course of my life, when I, you know, fast forward a couple of decades, I, I had, you know, been a broadcast journalist. I was an anchor. I'd been a, hosted a nationally uh, syndicated television show. And most recently, when I was in New Mexico, which is where I was living when I lost my sight, I had been working for Governor Bill Richardson. I was uh, an appointee, Mr. Richardson, and I was directing marketing in the, and communications in the Department of Cultural Affairs in New Mexico. And it was an amazing uh, experience. I got to travel all over the state. I did bridge building work, working with Native American tribes and other groups in the state. And so I've always sought to, you know, bring people together to understand that we have a common thread between all of us and that what serves one helps another, should help another. And if it doesn't, we're doing a disservice to ourselves because we are really all one human body, one people. And what and we're taught that in all the, you know, all the great books teach the same philosophy. But it is important to know that we have greater ability than we think that we do and that we can draw from that uh, empowering spirit which exists within all of us. Let's get specific to your story. Many people are born blind or lose their sight gradually, but you lost your sight very suddenly over a few weeks after an incredible, very active career and professional accomplishment. What were your emotions when you woke up blind? Explain to us what happened. It's interesting because I didn't realize how sick I was. My spirit was strong. And I had been observing this when I went suddenly one day and I thought it was, you know, food poisoning. I lost sight in one eye and I thought, well, that's interesting. Okay, it'll come back, you know, and I could see with one eye. One eye is good. Let me tell you, one eye is fine. And when the second I went, I it had gone over a three day period. And I woke up and it was black. Everything was black. I couldn't see anything. And I got out of bed and I made it to the kitchen and I asked my husband at that time to call our, our, new, our new friend at the ranch who had moved in, Julie. And 
she uh, she came right over and I told her I was blind. And it was, I didn't even have, I didn't know how to say the words because I didn't know, you know, what was going on. It was as if I was observing myself from another perspective. The journalistic eye, as you're aware, because as a, as a journalist yourself, gives us a different view on things. So I didn't have the human emotions one would expect. I didn't have the pity party. I didn't have the anger. I didn't have the resistance or reaction in that moment of discovery. But then you did go into another place. You refer to those dark, dark nights in the chapter that you titled Boot Camp. Would you share what that was like then when you did come to the realization that, whoa, this is this is a whole new place and a whole new me that I have to create and live my life as. Well, it was it was a blow. <laughs> yeah, I was I had gone through a divorce. I was forced out of my home. I had to go someplace because I didn't have a place to live. And I chose to go into training and my, my son had, you know, done some research and, and, and fortunately the state of New Mexico sent me to a, an independence training program out of state. It was difficult though, because I was out of my milieu. I'm the only grown up in the bunch when I got there. I didn't have another mature adult come into the program until I think I was in month seven out of the nine months of training. And so I was surrounded by teenagers and 20s who needed the kind of discipline, perhaps, that they provided. And it just wasn't a warm and fuzzy place. That was where everything opened up. And I, I broke down. I, you know, crack like a walnut, I say in the book. And, and so I had to, I think that was the beginning of the, really the death of the old self, because you have to who am I going to be? Who am I now that I'm not the person that I was? How do I do this, you know, without sight? Or I've had to resist allowing stereotypes and negative ideas to define me. I've grown up uh, bilingual, bicultural in a society that at times is not kind to groups that are bilingual and bicultural. And and yet I moved through it very successfully. The shift was just something entirely new. And I was told by my friend, Julie, you know, you're not going to let blindness define you. You're not uh, a blind woman, but you're a woman who happens to be blind. And I think that's something that all of us can carry with us because I remember in school, I challenged the, my ninth grade teacher because I got a B plus on, a, on an exam and I added up the points and it was 91 points. That's an A minus. So I went up to him afterward <laughs> and I told him, you know, this should have been somebody calculated this incorrectly. It should be an A minus. And he said, what difference does it make anyway, Yolanda? You're going to be <laughs> pregnant and married by the time you're <gasps> anyway. I've had to deal with you know, sexism and racism and, and stupidity. I mean, that was just plain <laughs> ignorance. There are things that we're told and we need to disregard them and we need to really more self-identify with our qualities, our virtues, our qualities of spirit, those intangible unseen things 
that we can draw from. I had to let go of, you know, a lot of things and just break open, let this be, not resist, which of course I did initially. And, and that transition really was, I think, the death to the old self. You write of being blessed by the blindness in, in your book, Through the Dark. And you even asked the question to what was I blind previously saying, you know, it took the blindness to wake me up to see more clearly. Share with us your feelings about that process and how this has changed you. As girls, women were programmed a certain way. And we've had to break some of those boundaries that have been imposed upon us. Each group has things it has to break. People who lose sight or who are born blind or who have any kind of so-called disability is not does not have to be limited by that. And so we can do much more than we think we can. But if society tells you you belong at home, away from everybody, you know, you don't need to show up. Right. You must be incapacitated in every way. You must be mentally deficient. I You're remember a victim. It's so funny. When I was talking to people on the phone when I was first blind, and they would talk very slowly to me. And I would say to them, <laughs> I'm blind. I'm not brain dead. <laughs> so everybody has potential. Everybody has a gift or a talent that they're to d- discover, develop, and give back to the world. So we make the world a better place. That's why we're all here. And we're not here to be flotsam in the waves. Well, you certainly are not that. And, you know, I mean, I was amazed that how you described in your book about how how you travel. I mean, you travel alone on airplanes. I mean, crossing very busy highways. Where did you find the courage and, and confidence to do all that? Well, I think I've always been like that. I've always been mm-hmm. a wanderer and an explorer as a little that. girl. I used to get punished because my mother didn't know where I was and I wasn't at home. And I, we lived near Elysian Park in Los Angeles, which was, is where Dodger Station, Dodger Stadium is now located. But when I was a child, it was just an enormous park, city park of thousands of acres. There was all this to explore. And I always was out wandering and I'd get spanked because I went, you know, there was no cell phone. There was an I didn't have a quarter to find a payphone and there was no payphone in the park. And so I just wandered. And I guess I've done that all my life. And so this experience uh, allowed me to really connect uh, more spiritually. I very clearly got a message as soon as I got home from the hospital and I banged my head against the bed that I needed to develop a daily spiritual practice. And I had dabbled with that over my life. I meditated when I was in grad school. I did uh, transcendental meditation with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, but I let it go. And this is something that I discovered is that we can't let that part of our lives go. And we need to develop a spiritual practice, whatever it is, we can stay within whatever philosophy or religion or, or humanistic beliefs that we were raised with, or we can go off exploring, which is what I've done all my life. And I've drawn upon my basic teachings 
because they were fabulous, and expanded them into looking at other philosophies and religions and teachings. And it's just grown me so much. And I'm so grateful for that because life is an adventure when you go within and explore the inner dimension as much as you do the outer world. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your book. Obviously, you're a journalist. You had already written one book. But as the author of a book, I know what hard work that is. And what prompted you to say, okay, I'm going to sit down and write this book for others? It was the same intention that I've lived most of my life with, which is to serve others, to be of service. And when I arrived home from the hospital, I had gone through a divorce. I was, everything was, you know, up in the air. It was six months after I got home from the hospital that I started writing because I would wake up in the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep. And I said, okay, what am I going to do? Well, I need to look at what's going on with me. I realized I was seeing things with my journalistic eye, but I was also experiencing much more than that. And I wanted to capture that and share it with others so that they too might come to thrive going through any kind of traumatic, cataclysmic, life-changing event. So it was service, and as always. It was a process of redefining, you know, rewriting, adding to learning more, discovering more. It took me 10 years in all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. it it's a hard it's work hard. to write a book. <laughs> it's very hard work. Yes. You know, you clearly have a great sense of self-awareness, but also as a journalist, you're an observer of human nature and human behavior. And I'm curious as to what you've felt or witnessed about how people have gone through this pandemic, this cultural challenge, trauma, that we as uh, human beings all over the world are still in the thick of and going through together. Any observations on that? I think some people are suffering tremendously and are victims of the pandemic. Others have drawn from some place within themselves to find a new way to live, to make a living, to choose to redefine who they are and how they're going to be in the world. And I think that's very exciting when you see that. I think of somebody like Jose Andreas, who was a restaurateur, he owned 27 restaurants. Well, you know what happened to the restaurant industry. And rather than folding, he had started serving kind of catastrophic situations. He was sending food to Puerto Rico when they went through their, you know, hurricane crisis, loss of power and everything else. And there was no water. and The government wasn't helping them. And they were really isolated on their island. And he started taking food to them. And before that, he had taken food to Asia when they had some catastrophe over there. I can't remember which one it was. But over time, he was feeding, I think, what, 300,000 people? I forget the figure now. Unbelievable. Yeah, things like that are amazing. And there are many other people who have uh, done similar things. People have started a new business. There were some Latinas that started a clothing business. And they were producing a really neat kind of yoga pant that was selling in Whole Foods. 
for a period of time. And so, you know, there are creative efforts that took place. And again, that's being the victor, not the victim, as my doctor, you know, defined it. And it's not that everybody is going to be able to get there. We need to help each other. The government needs to kick in and do what it's got to do. Uh, it's This is a, a nation and a world of people where there is much lack. And it's not just that people don't want to do something with their lives. There are barriers and impediments to them doing that. And so we have to break those down and empower people. I love the term empowerment because that's what we need to do. That's why I got involved in the women's movement was to empower Chicana women, Mexican-American women, Latina women. We didn't use Latina that era, but it was empowerment. And the women's movement is the same thing. It's empowerment. Why should women be withheld from accomplishing at the same level as men when we have the same brain? You know, we all use it differently. And we, in fact, have other gifts that men may not have or developed. We all have them. If we're thinking Jungian wise, there is male and female qualities in, in both, you know, both at all genders. And we don't need to be defined solely by one or the other. Well, you and I are contemporaries and have been on the front lines of women's pushing the edges of possibility for decades here. And I wonder if you would share any message you like to give to our next generation of women. We've seen a lot of progress, but you and I know so well, there is so much work still to do. There is much work to do. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. There are people that have gone before us, which have had wonderful solutions and strategies that are empowering and positive and strategic and productive. We need to draw from that history and that wisdom and that knowledge as much as look at new ways of solving problems. One of the things I think we want to do, I remember the words of my spiritual director at Founders Church, Bill Hornaday, who was a broadcaster and also a wonderful metaphysician, and he would say, with all you're getting, get understanding. And so instead of just looking at the outside world of getting and achieving for ourselves, let's look at what gifts we have, how we develop them, and what can we do to help make the world a better place, not just for ourselves and our families, but for everyone. That must be a goal. We are a global community now. What happens on one side of the globe affects what happens on the other. And we're all impacted. Thank you so much, Yolanda Nava, for being with us and for sharing your journey of self-empowerment. Your new book, Through the Dark, is not just an inspiring story. It is absolutely full of very, very wise lessons on how each of us can continue to embrace life after setbacks and even devastating trauma. Thank you. It's a pleasure, and thanks so much for having me on your program. God bless. Well, I loved your book, and I wish you continued success and, most importantly, joy. I'm Ann Doyle. Let's all go power up.
Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll subscribe, share us with your network, and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back and lift others as you climb.